millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We're in the studio this week with Jerry and Stacy. They are the founders of a ministry called Love for the Least, working in the Middle East. They've also worked in Africa. They have work in India. So all around the world, uh, we're going to talk with them about what God is doing, especially in the Middle East and with disciple-making movements. Jerry and Stacy, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Great to be here. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Let's go back to the very beginning. How did God call you from America, because you sound like Americans, <laughs> to to go halfway around the world and and reach out in the name of Jesus to people who've never heard? It was uh, probably 2000, yeah, about 2000, and we were just nice, normal American Christians. We lived in a big house uh, in a gated community on the golf course and had his and her BMWs. I was and- a tennis lady. Ah, yeah, an accomplished one. And um, we were in this little church, and we were new members. And uh, what they always did was with the new family, they put them in charge of the the missions committee because uh, no one else wanted to do it. <laughs> and so um, they were not interested in missions at all. Like we couldn't gin up any enthusiasm. So we just said we're going to be the mission team. So we went over to Tanzania ourselves. Uh, I think that was 2000, 2001, and just fell in love, and God got a hold of us. And so we ended up selling the house, selling the car, selling the business, loaded the kids up, and had one-way tickets to Tanzania in 2003. Wow. And do you, you remember that saying about God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called? Um, at that time, I had— uh, never read the Bible, never finished a Bible study. Um, I started two and uh, didn't, you know, didn't get them finished. And uh, so it, it really is true that God qualifies the call. And it was a call. Our working slogan has always been, um, we don't know what we're doing, but we're getting better at it. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I get a chance to talk to young people, one of the things I always say is before you take a full-time job, take a mission trip. Not because God's going to call all of you to be missionaries, but he's going to plant some seeds in your heart to do something. What was it that you saw or that you experienced in Tanzania that you said, this is what we want to give our lives to? This is what we want to do going forward? I mean, one thing we saw was uh, just the incredible need. That's it. It was the need yeah. for me as well. Um, African poverty is not like anything um, we Americans can get our heads around. We've been doing this for 20 years now, and the one thing we can never get across to Americans is what nothing looks like. Um, And boy, did we see nothing. And I'll just say for me personally, though, it was also the incredible joy and faith of the people. Uh, Just being in a crummy little falling down wooden church, and then when they break out in their Swahili hymns, it just sounds like the angels. You know, and that really grabbed my heart. So I personally sort of fell in love with the church there and their faith 
And then, boy, was there a lot of work to do. Hospitality as well. We would um, go into a little mud hut, and the owner would pull out sodas, and we would pray over the sodas, and there wouldn't be enough for everybody to go around, and they would give them to us. And that kind of hospitality blew me away. And and then also, you know, Jerry talked about the need, you know, just knowing that you could save a life for five dollars. Uh, all they needed was like Cipro to get over some illness, and for five dollars, you could literally save a life. So the the need was really touching us. So I'm curious to know when you came back to that little church that didn't care about missions, and you said, "Hey, we're selling everything and moving to Tanzania." Did they kick you out of the church or what <laughs> What happened? Actually, they were amazing. They really rallied behind us. Um, it's, they were really happy that someone was doing it. It wasn't going to be them. Um, but they, um, uh, they were incredibly uh, supportive of us and really launched us into the field. So they were, they were great. It was a great experience. It was funny. I, um, uh, there was a guy in the church who never liked me. I just never, never liked me. And it was my last men's retreat before we deployed overseas. And he came up to me and he said, I need to talk to you today. And I thought, oh, man, this guy doesn't like me. So we pulled aside at one point. He goes, Jerry, I got a problem. He said, I, I want to do what you're doing. I want to give my life to God. I want to give him my will and my future. I'm just so afraid if I do that, God is going to send me to Africa with you, and I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> What happened in that in the I'm thinking especially that first term because obviously humongous adjustment, mm-hmm. humongous need. You at some point recognized that we could work 24 hours a day and we still wouldn't even come close to meeting the need, even the need we can see right around mm-hmm. us. What was that adjustment like, and how did you settle into a rhythm of, okay, this is what we need to focus on, this is what we can do, and and understand at the end of the day. Okay, I need to go to sleep. I need to rest, even though I know there's there's more need. There's more need that I I can never meet. You know, one thing we kind of share with the new workers overseas, and we're kind of in that phase of life where we're spending more time helping the newbies, you know, and pouring into them. And one thing we try to stress with them is um, God does not need our busy work. Like we we feel no compunction to be busy all the time. Really, the number one job of an overseas worker is to get in there and pray and fast, spending time. Because we want God ideas, not good ideas. And and it's just absolutely overwhelming. So, you know, we've just learned, you know, is to listen to God and then let him show us what to do. But yeah. we don't have to be busy out there asking him to bless what we're doing. And, dude— Todd, you're so speaking our language. When we first got there, I felt like it was an ocean of need, and I felt like I was just a drop in the bucket. And I got really sad. I got really depressed. And and I remember being on my knees and just crying to God. And it was there that I learned that I don't need to save Tanzania, and I'm not big enough to save Tanzania, and that all God is asking me, he's like, would you just help the one in front of you? And then that, it just, 
it got really broad into really and in, into really narrow. And then I was like, I'm just going to help the one that he puts in my path. And there's something amazingly freeing about that. It, it was so freeing. You're not responsible for the whole country, right? You're just responsible for this person that that God has brought into your pathway. Yep. And then that's how it changed for me. It was like just help the one that I put in front of you. And then tomorrow, help the next yep. one and the next it's one. It's like, okay, Lord, one. got this. And that's, <laughs> we share that with our the new workers too, is that, you know, just take your time, pray, and then go out, look around, and then find your little patch and work on it. Mm-hmm. You can't fix everything, but you can work on your little patch. And so we've just tried to do that. Let God point us to little patches. And then we farm that field. And like, I can't worry about the things that are out of my control. Amen. So now I want to fast forward. So you worked in Tanzania for a number of years. 2014, God up, pulls you up from Tanzania and moves you to Iraq. Now, this is significant because 2014 was not a, not a safe time to move to Iraq. Uh, it was a time when a lot of people were leaving Iraq, especially Christians, Tell me about that transition and tell me how God really made that very clear. Nope, you're done in Tanzania, Iraq. It was uh, the exact day was August 8th, 2014. And we were home from East Africa uh, and we were at a conference in Florida. And again, that date, that was the, the day that ISIS declared the caliphate. So all we were seeing on the news was the black flags and the trucks and ISIS taking over the world and everybody was scared. And, and we were at worship that morning and I just heard – and I was really happy. We were very happy in East Africa. It was – life was good. And just heard a clear word of the Lord, go to Iraq and go now. Um, and my first – Response was that's great. Who's going to tell Stacy? Um, well, didn't you also say, "Can I speak to somebody else?" Yeah, I will talk to somebody else. <laughs> is is this, there anyone else up this, there that I could speak, speak to? Speak to because this doesn't sound like a great idea. And so I left the worship, and I hadn't told Stacy yet, and I wasn't planning on telling her. And I was even thinking, how am I going to go to Iraq without letting her know? And that would be kind of hard. And I was talking to a friend about it, and I just said on the phone, like, I haven't told Stacy yet. And uh, she walked in the room right at that moment. And it's, you haven't told me. <laughs> you haven't told me what? What, what yeah. haven't you told me? <laughs> so we, um, um, we didn't know a soul in the region. We'd never been to the Middle East, didn't know where the language, uh, but we heard go. And so there was only uh, one flight a day uh, into Erbil from Turkey. And uh, we were on that flight. We did a hot military landing. ISIS was on both sides of the airport. Um, and we didn't know us all. And we were just kind of going to get there and walk till we found the refugees. It just do the next right thing. And um, we connected uh, with a, a local believer leader there. We had a difficult, long drive past ISIS up to the far north where the refugees were. Uh, northern Iraq, that area, was hit with three million refugees in about one week. Uh, the city we came to had a it was a population of half a million, and they had a million refugees living on the streets. And then the first uh, refugees from ISIS we met were believers from Nineveh, and we met, and they were just literally had just come in, had left everything behind. They were in shock, trauma, they were, uh, so raw. It was um, uh, yeah, a lot of trauma. And we, one of the first thoughts we had is, and these were believers, like we said, you know, the kids are really suffering and they're probably not going to have Christmas this year. So we decided to have Christmas in September 
and we went to the local Kurdish Walmart and bought them out, like just every cart we could move down the aisles and uh, did a big pre-Christmas celebration for uh, for the Christian refugees there in Nineveh. And that was really Soccer cool. balls, dolls. Yes. Yeah. It was a whole, it was a great night. Yeah. Candy. Uh, well, and at that point, because I, I traveled there during that time in, in the world and Every park was full of refugees. Every half-completed building was full of refugees. Exactly. Filled. Every open space that somebody put up a tarp, there was refugees. If there was a roof, there were refugees. 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 Community yeah. centers. Uh, community you go centers. into a community center and you just see mattresses stacked yep. up to the ceiling. Yep. And, and I know at one point, and... Voice of the Martyrs rented a wedding hall because it was available, and and they weren't having weddings at that time, so filled that with people and. So did you get off the plane and then you were just there or did you go like on a scouting trip or, or how did you? Yeah, we actually um, – what I heard too was go for 72 hours. Okay. And um, actually our entire board said no um, and we didn't tell our this family. This is not a good idea. Yeah, right? this is not – we had people close crying. to us crying on the phone telling us not to go. It's hard to even think back now. It hasn't been that long ago. But the level of fear – when ISIS rolled across those planes and when they said the caliphate and when they're chopping off the heads of foreigners in orange jumpsuits, it's hard for people now to kind of remember how frightening that was and how if someone you loved was going to go there, you would have all kinds of reasons to tell them, no, 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 I'm, I'm really sure that God did not tell you to do that. Yeah, how, I, how did you answer some of those arguments and some of that pushback from from people you loved and people who loved you? Oh, we just heard God said go and we go. It was a clear word from the Lord. And thank God the good shepherd still speaks. And so it was that clear word from the Lord. And it was also confirmed. I told Jerry in, in the hotel room, OK, this is a crazy idea. I trust you and I trust your your walk with Jesus and that you heard. But it needs to be confirmed. And it was and it was confirmed. We had a girl at that same conference come up to me. Um, I'd met her the previous year at the same conference. She came up to me and she said, you're going to be going to darker places, more dangerous places, but I see that God has his hand on you. And here's what I want to tell you. Do not fear. Wow. And and I went straight back to Jerry and I said, we're going, (laughs) we're going. And then, you know, you talk about the fear on that plane ride over. It was so quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And I was I was hyperventilating. Yeah. I mean, like we were I flying over ISIS territory, getting ready to land the plane, and I was scared. I mean, we I'm, all I'm wanted those brown reacting. paper bags to breathe in, you know. But here's the deal. It's like as soon as the wheels of the plane landed, bam, all fear was gone. Wow. All fear left, like when we landed. And I just told Jerry, Jesus is already here. He's just waiting for us. And um like our entire board, everybody was just having a fit, like a hard no. Except for Frank. Frank. Frank, our friend, calls up and he says, how much you need? And I told him. And um, and he said, money's going to be in your account in five minutes for the plane tickets. Off you go. Wow. So we took that. And then we were – More confirmation. Yeah. yeah and more then we were in the middle of visiting churches. And so that church that Sunday took up a collection. Four of us went. And we each had the we each had ten thousand dollars USD and money belts on us, which is the max you can yeah. bring over. Yeah. So we had, this was out. This is without praying or fasting. It just came down. Everything fell into from place. heaven. Yeah, yeah. That's how it started. So that was the caliphate. That was ISIS. Obviously, we say now ISIS has been defeated, but there's a lot of damage that ISIS did. And I know one of the things that Love for the Least is doing is helping 
ISIS victims, especially women. Talk, maybe Stacy, you're the best one to talk about this. Talk about what that looks like, what that is, and how how Jesus is using that, because I can't imagine the amount of wounds and hurt and heartache yeah. that was left behind. I'll tell you one story. We were doing a medical in a Yazidi camp. We were in the village of, were we in Conque? Conque. Yeah. And it was chaos and it was loud and, and thunderous and people everywhere and, and, you know, in line and yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden it got really quiet. And next thing I know is that one, one of the leaders from the village is bringing up this woman and she's dragging one of her legs. She's very young. Well, she had been sold to ISIS and then she'd been sold back and forth many, many times and, and she stroked out. And, and all she, the members, the males in her family had been killed. Yeah. She, she witnessed that. So she had a stroke. And when she, after she had the stroke, she was no longer useful for them. And they threw her out. And she walked f- f- all the way, um, you know, dragging the dragging one bag one leg. leg. And, and so then all of a sudden she's in front of me. You know, a woman who's been sold many, many times, saw her family shot. And, and I'm like, what do I have to give her? So the only thing I have is Jesus. So I put my arms around her and, and I hugged her and I loved her and I just prayed over her and, um, and just gave her the love of Christ because that was all I had. And at, at the same time, my, my husband is like shaking with anger. He's shaking with anger and rage, and he has to go outside. You can share what went on with God when you went outside. But, you know, you hear about this on in the news, and you see it on TV, but here she is in front of you, and she has a name, and her name is Merdea. Like, it's real. And, yeah, I got, I got really angry, and I got mad at God. I, and I just stomped off, and I just looked up, and I said, where are you? How could you let this happen? Yeah, where, where are you? And then I said, what? are you paying any attention and what do you plan to do about this? And I heard an answer just clear back. And I just heard, I sent you dummy. (laughs) (laughs) And I think God talks to us in ways that we can understand. So he calls me dummy sometimes. And, but that was so poignant. Yeah. I called you, I sent you here. You do something about it. (laughs) So did that dissipate the anger that you felt? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It totally disarmed me. Yeah. And we're, like so honored to be yoked with Jesus. It's an honor that is indescribable. Everybody has this honor. Um, everybody is yoked to Jesus. Um, you know, we don't deserve this, and, and and yet He allows us. And God could do it by Himself, but He He loves to work through His bride and the and and the members. So really and truly, like it's an honor to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, and like we. We're a little bit different. Um, we have absolutely no agenda and no plan. We don't want to be big. We don't want to be known. We just want to be available to God. You know, and our, my prayer every day is, you know, God, just send us wherever you want us to go and show us what to do, and we'll do it. Like, we're giving you our yes, but um, we don't hold anything real tight. You know, we just we just want to be ultimately be 
available to God for whatever he wants to do wherever and whenever. And that's kind of how we, how we roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to trauma, you know, there's still, we have now settled down to about 1.2 million refugees, IDPs in the region. Uh, they're mostly uh, Yazidi, some Syrians and um, uh, from Rojava. And um, the average stay in a UN camp globally is 18 years. A lot of people don't know that. UN generally doesn't provide any food, no services. Camps are miserable places. And and trauma is the number one issue. So to your question, um, we set up a pretty massive uh, trauma care survivor operation. What does that look like? Well, we have girls who are like 10 years old who were sold back and forth between ISIS members for five years. I mean, there's just unbelievable their stories and brokenness and what happened to them. And so... We're focused on uh, care and trauma recovery for them. And really good news, we had a, in one camp, we had a caseload of 135 widows from ISIS. And, young, uh, young, young, young widows with children. And we just finished up with 75 of them. They're good. Like they've worked their way through the process. Wow. Do a lot of trauma care with the children. How is it for someone to say, I, I have trauma, I need to deal with this trauma? Is that a shameful thing or is well, that? Yes. yes, and they all have it and all 100% they have trauma. All of them. If, if you directly experienced ISIS, they call that the dark side. And so the big camp we work in is known for – we have the most people who saw the dark side. But 80 percent of them had a direct encounter uh, with ISIS. And do they see that as the dark side of Islam? I mean do they blame – Islam oh yeah, because they're Yazidi. They're, they, okay, so Yazidi they're Muslims Yazidis don't too. like each other. Okay. So yeah, they're funny though. They um, they gravitate really well to Christ followers because they see us as uh, persecuted religious also, minorities. Also persecuted. So they right. they they completely can work with us. They mm-hmm. they are very scared of and resistant to Muslims around them, but they love Christians. Like it's mm-hmm. very easy for us to work there. They completely accept us. So you say that seventy five have completed the program. What what is that? What does that mean? Is, in, is that a number of meetings? Is that a, a workbook? One on one with one on one with and uh, some group counseling. Okay. Yeah, with a psychologist. A lot of suicide saves. Social workers working with them on practical things. So they have heavy duty uh, counseling, but also our social workers help them with sort of the practicalities mm-hmm. of life, and then also just getting them sort of busy and moving forward. So in their culture, one, there's a real stigma against mental health care. So we've had to break that down. Uh, The other thing is the women are expected just to sit in their tents and not leave. And, you know, just practically, it's 125 degrees. There's no electricity. There's no shade. The tents are like pizza ovens. You know, you just sit in there and sweat and do nothing. So we um, we break the women out, and we've done uh, adult literacy for them. 100% are illiterate. Uh, so not only are they getting counseling and care, but um, they're learning to uh, read and write. And then we have uh, little job creation programs for them as well. As one of the worst things about being a refugee is sort of um, one is sort of the helplessness and also just the sheer boredom of it. Yeah. Jerry and Stacy are the founders of an organization called Love for the Least. Let me also encourage you to share today's program with a Christian friend, maybe with your pastor, maybe with somebody else. As you heard today, Jerry and Stacy were leading a very comfortable middle-class American life when God called them to a whole new mission. And I pray, and we actually prayed even before we recorded this interview, that God will use this to challenge more people, to call more people, to get involved in his work around the world. 
Hopefully that's happening. Hopefully God is using this episode that way. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.